All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. Before we get started, I just think there's just um, some things we need to do as, as it relates to prayer this morning. Uh, definitely want to be praying for our country. Uh, we, we have a little situation in the back back here. We want to pray for that also. But um, let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, we just again thank you for just a privilege to be here this morning to to come to a place like this where we can worship you and learn from your word, Father. And we just thank you for that. Lord, we just pray for the one that's uh, hurting, that's dealing with the issue right now in our service right now. That you just be with her, Father, and just touch her. And Lord, that you just do a work, Lord, in her. And Lord, just pray for things to go well there. And Father, we also turn our attention to our nation, Lord. We know that uh, there's all kinds of issues that we're dealing with as a nation and and Father, we, we do. We, we, we pray for unity where unity can stand, Father. And uh, Father, we do pray that you'll just help us as a nation to, to, to make our way back to you, Father. And, and Lord, you said that if we just cry out, you would come and heal our land. And, and Father, we're crying out. Our, our land needs healing, Father. But Father, we also need to get back to truth. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that you'll just help us as we um, move in the directions that you've called us to move in these days, Father, that we'd move towards truth, Father. And again, we know that uh, there's no policy that will fix the true issues here in America. No policy will fix that. It's only a change of heart, Father. And we know that you're the only one that can do that. And we just pray that you do that in, in the midst of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to continue the, um, uh, the sermon that we started last week. Go ahead and pull your outline out. Your outline out. You may be confused. There's some uh, lines in there that are actually filled out. I kind of helped you out this morning. But we're going to review this because this sermon was always intended to be two parts. And we're looking at the benefits of grace through faith. So if you will, look at the introduction. After Paul explains how we are saved, he then focuses on the results and benefits of our faith. When it comes to our faith, it should be noted that there's a difference between our standing with God and our status with God. Now, let me try to give you an example of that before we go on in with that rest of there. My standing is that I am a U.S. citizen. That's my standing. Okay? Now, now think about this. I'm trying to make a parallel. I have certain benefits as a citizen spelled out and guaranteed by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. My standing is a U.S. citizen as determined by the government. My standing is secure as long as the U.S. exists. Now, since the birth of our nation over 200 years ago, many have died. We're celebrating some of that this weekend, some of the veterans, some of those who have given their lives. Many have died to protect my freedom, my citizenship, and the benefits that I enjoy. And the same thing has happened for you. And so that's our standing Okay, with our government. My status is that I am a U.S. citizen who is in right relationship with the government. I've been bound by the laws of the state or in the laws of our nation, and I'm there and I'm, I'm participating in the right relationship with the government. The moment that I choose not to be in the right relationship with the government, I lose certain privileges that have been given to me. Okay, now you know that, right? I stand the risk of going to prison. I stand the risk of going to jail. I can lose freedoms. I can lose certain things. I'm basically putting myself in bondage. Now, I want you to think about your relationship as it relates to your salvation. Your salvation is that your standing is in Christ. 
Once you get to that point and you've come to Jesus on on the provision that God set forth, that his son would be the sacrifice, and you acknowledge that that's the only way you're going to get to God, and you come by repentance and confession, then guess what? Your standing is in Christ. It's bound by the truths of God's word. It's bound by what Jesus Christ did in the cross. And so as a result of that, you have your, your standing in that. Now, can your status change? Yeah, most definitely. Your status and your relationship, if you get into sin and you start moving in that direction, your relationship can suffer. But not only your relationship, you can put yourself in the bondages you were never intended to live with. But your standing in Christ is still there. Now, that's some of the language that Paul is going to introduce to us in chapter 5. So look on your outline again. Our standing in Christ, chapter 5, is perfect, unchanging, and guaranteed by the Word of God, the work of Christ, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. However, our status in Christ, he's going to spell this out for us in chapter 6, 7, and 8, is imperfect, it is changing, and it's dependent upon us. So if we want to have the right relationship with God through Jesus, guess what? We need to abide by the truths that are found in his word. Or guess what? We can find ourselves in bondage, lose certain aspects of our freedoms. But we never lose our our standing with him. Now, as Paul writes these words in chapter 5, like I said last week, it's obvious that he's excited about what he's writing. It's almost like he's finally gotten to the point he can get excited about. The first several chapters, what did he do? He proved that we are all sinners. It doesn't matter what you, if you're living in rebellion, you're you're a sinner. If you're living a respectable life, you're still a sinner. If you're religious, you're still a sinner. And basically, he comes to that conclusion, but then he gets to the good news. He comes to chapter 5, verse 1, and says, therefore, there's something that's happening here. And so here we go. This is where we're going to review for last week, and we're going to run it right into what we're going to cover tonight, uh, today. <laughs> I'm ready. To, anyway, this morning. Okay, so what are the benefits of our faith? First of all, God lifts us. He lifts us. And so on our outline, our standing in him. First of all, that standing, we have acceptance by him through faith. So look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith... That means declared righteous, made right before him by faith. Because of that, we have, there's a certainty, it's unconditional, peace with God. Now, when it says peace with God, well, you know what that means? No longer an enemy. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. When it says through our, it means guaranteed by our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we come to Jesus Christ on his terms and the terms that God set forth that we come by way of Jesus Christ, guess what? We have acceptance by him through faith. Secondly, we have access to him through faith. Romans 5, 2, it says, through whom, that whom is referring back to verse 1, that being Jesus, also we have access by faith. Now here's what you need to understand about what's written here. To the Jew and those who lived under the Old Testament, this thought was unthinkable. You did not have direct access to God. You had that through the priest. Through the priest, they would work on your behalf. There was a mediator. Guess what Jesus did? He came across. He said, guess what? I'm going to be the perfect mediator. I'm going to be the perfect high priest. And I'm going to open it up to all of you. And so now what do we have? We have access by faith with God. 
through our, our Lord Jesus Christ. But then it says this, through whom also we have access into his grace. Listen to this, not our faith at this point. It's, it, our faith is touching this, but it's his grace, meaning faith enacted, but grace kept. In which we stand, that means we're immovable. This is where we are. This is our standing. It's the sphere of constant acceptability and access. Because we are perfected by Christ. Now, guess what? He's going to explain that whole thought in Romans chapter 8. Okay? So we're there. Now, let's keep moving. And rejoice, that means we celebrate in hope. Talking about the guaranteed by Christ. That's what hope is there. Of the glory of God. Now, let's keep moving. So we see our standing in him. We're accepted and we have access. But now we have our sanctification. It's the whole idea of where our status is in him. So first of all, faith displayed by us. Look at Romans 5, 3. And not only that, not only the things we just said, but we also glory in tribulation. So it's like over here he's saying, okay, this is where you are right now. You have access. I mean, you're accepted. You have access. Now, let me practically show you how this is hashed out. He does that in verse 3. He says, not only that, you need to remember that, that you have acceptance by him and you have access to him. But you need to remember that. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. It's almost like, what? You give us all this good news. And then he says, we can glory in tribulations, what's tribulations? Well, it could have been persecution, which was more than likely what was going on in the first century. It, it could just be our suffering. It could be circumstances that bring trials into our lives. All these things. He says, we have the potential, based on verses 1 and 2, to glory in our sufferings and our tribulations. Now, as a believer, we know that no matter what happens, no matter how many problems and trials we go through, we know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Okay? We know that. Okay, uh, we know that it's going to be good. Faith looks ahead and beyond our trials and circumstances. Now we come to where he gets very practical. Look on your outline. Our sanctification, our status in him by faith developed in us. Now this word sanctification is a process. Process, okay? So Romans 5, 3 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. When it says glory, we see the great potential in tribulations or in suffering. So here's what you need to understand. We're not rejoicing for the suffering, but for the possible results that can be produced if we respond correctly. So God has a purpose behind even the little irritations and little problems or big problems in our lives. God's number one purpose in your life, you may not know this, is to make you more like Jesus. That's his purpose. Okay? Uh, so how does God produce this? Look at Romans 5. Look at the second part of verse 3. Knowing that those same tribulations that we can see great potential in, that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Now, let me explain verse 5. When it says hope, it means the potential in the process. We know God's working for our good. How many of you, let me ask you a question. How many of you know, based on the authority of Scripture, that whatever you're dealing with right now, think about one of the biggest things you're dealing with right now. How many of you know, don't raise your hand because this is kind of, I understand this is a problem. How many of you know, in the midst of that, God's still looking out for your best? For some of you, that's hard to say. And I understand that. I've gone through things in my life that I thought were just useless, worthless and, I, I, and I've been known to lose sight of that. 
And I know people who lose sight of that. Because this world is very real. The reality in which we live is very real. But what we're seeing here is this. There is so much, what he's saying, there is so much potential. And then it says it does not disappoint. You know what it means? It gets the desired results. There's a process that he's working through in your life. you got to learn to trust him with it. Even though it's hard, you got to say, God, I don't know what you're up to. I'm perplexed by this. I, to be honest with you, I don't even like it. But I'm trusting you with this. Because you're attempting to get the desired results in my situation that you desire. Not what the people around me desire. Not even what I desire. But what you desire. So... Let's look at what this looks like. The progression of maturing faith. Again, this is what we're reviewing from last week. First of all, there's tribulation. That means when faith encounters suffering. Then there's perseverance. That's when faith is patient and it's enduring. No matter what you're dealing with. That results into character. That is faith that is tested and proven. Okay? How many of you have come out on the other side of things in your life, maybe over the years... And you have seen where something has refined your faith. You've seen where you have been proven and tested and came out on the other side and you were okay. And you saw God's hand in it. You see, that's where he wants you to see. That's the perspective he wants you to have. So then it leads to hope. That means faith that is focused, is sustained, and it's directed. You see, faith, faith in faith is nothing. That, that means nothing. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in him. So give me, let me give you a definition of biblical hope. It's like I said last week. It's confident expectation found in Christ through faith. So here's what we can take from this. God allows our suffering not to destroy our hope, but to increase our hope. Our suffering faces us, uh, forces us, listen, to look beyond ourselves. How many of you ever had something that came into your life that there was no way you could deal with what you were dealing with on your own? I mean, it, it really, it was hopeless. It was as bottom as bottom can get. Did you know that many times that's the starting place where you can find Christ in your life and what he's trying to do? We don't like to say that. We don't want to be there. In Corinthians, Paul said, you know, he got to the whole idea. He asked God to take something out of his life three times. You remember the story? Three times he, he pleaded with God, I don't want this in my life. I don't want. How many of you are comforted, comforted to know that the, someone as great as the Apostle Paul was, he felt like we did at times? He didn't want certain things in his life. But you know what God's answer was? And I don't understand. I'm sure he didn't really fully understand it. He, here, here's his answer. Hey, Paul, what you're dealing with right there? My grace is sufficient to see you through. You know what he was saying, Paul? This is necessary for you to become the person I desire you to be. And that grace will get you through this thing. You know what he was saying? He was saying you need to change your perspective. Get your eyes off that thing you're so focused on. Get your eyes on my grace. Get your eyes on the fact that I want to do something great in and through your life. And, and you know what? I happen to believe Paul took that to heart and it transformed him. Because he had other things that came after that that were great accomplishments for Christ. So we see all this. Now, what are the hindrances of maturing faith? We looked at this quickly last week. There's hopelessness. That's a great hindrance to faith. That's a great hindrance to, to hope. I mean, think about this. And, 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 and let me just say this. People who are apart from Christ, living in the world that we're living in, 
They haven't been touched by God's unconditional love. They haven't been touched by the fact that he's forgiven them. They haven't been touched by something that can remove the guilt and shame out of their life. They haven't been touched by something that brings them hope. I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you, I can't imagine living without that. That's got to be so hopeless to, to live without Christ and the promises found in his word. And for some people even here today, maybe, maybe your situation feels hopeless because you've never trusted in the one who can offer the hope that you need. It's so vital. But then there's another one. What's the hindrance to maturing faith? Rebellion. That's when things hit our lives. And, and I've been there with you if you've, if you've been there. Well, God, it's not fair. You're treating me wrong. I don't deserve this. I'm trying to serve you the best I know how. Why would you allow this? How about this complaining? An attitude of complaining does not allow us to see God's potential in our trials. Worry. You know what worry is? Put the two together. You take fear plus doubt equals worry. Here's distrust. The reason we distrust is because we, and, 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 and I've been there too. Sometimes we lose sight that God really isn't, wants the best for us. And we don't understand that. Therefore, we no longer live by hope, that confident expectation in Christ. And then self-pity. Self-pity can really, be a, really bring you down, cause you to lose total perspective. Now, the list of hindrances of our faith are all about perspective. You understand that, right? Every one of those are about perspective. How do we move from those things that hinder our faith to those things that mature our faith? Look here. Here's a verse on the screen. I shared it with you last week. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world, don't take the perspective of the world to the point that it squeezes you in to reacting the way the world will react. Okay? That's not what you've been called to do. All right? But we do. We get squeezed into that, don't we? We see all these people living. He says, but be transformed. You know what transformation means? Radically changed radically changed, okay? But the, when it says transform, it's a radical change that leads to something intended, okay? So God desires something to be radically changed in you that brings about an intention that he has for you. How do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. You know, can I give you a different perspective on that? Your perspective changes. <clears throat> you quit taking the perspective of the world and take the perspective of God's truth. Why would you do that? Look there. That you may prove... What is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Hey, let me tell you what that, what that you may prove means. It means that you can live in the reality of what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. But where does it go? You got to take on his perspective. Where do you get his perspective? From his word. From his promises. From the things that he lays out. Not from the world. The world's going to always carry you in a different direction. Have you, how many of you figured out that the world is about me? <laughs> the world is about what my desires are. And when those things don't go my way, we have a terrible pr perspective. We worry. We fear. He says, trust in me. And then I gave you this last week, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Here's the key. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. That's the key. With thanksgiving. You know why many of us complain? You know why many of us have self-pity parties? You know why we always are there? It's because we never get to the point where we live in the spirit of gratitude. We live in the spirit of grumbling. Because we don't feel like we're getting what everyone else has. Because we can't figure out why God would allow this in our lives. And we stay there. And that's the way we operate our lives. 
And you know what? Those people who stay there for a long time, they become bitter. They become complainers. They, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're finding yourself in this situation, you're eventually going to be hard to live with. You're eventually going to be hard to deal with if you stay there. And that's just truth. Because it does. It roots itself in you. We have to intentionally. Listen, our flesh always carries us the wrong way. We have to intentionally live in the spirit of gratitude and contentment. If not, we're free game for anything the enemy throws at us. He says with thanksgiving that you let your requests be known to God. That means the things you can't, can't get there on. The things it's hard to thank God for, for on. Turn it over to him. Let him have it. He goes on. He says when you do this, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You know what that means? And I've seen this in my own life at times. That peace that surpasses all understanding. Here's what some of that means. When you used to look back at what you dealt with before, and you sat there and you're like, I will never get through this. This thing is going to kill me. <laughs> I will never. You worried. You, you had doubts. You had fears. All those things that were back there. I mean, it was just there. It was, and then all of a sudden, something happened. Maybe the word of God just came to you. Maybe a word of encouragement. All of a sudden, you started seeing it from God's perspective. You got on the other side of it, and you started looking back, and you're like, how in the world did I get through that? It's got to be God. <laughs> And he does. That's the kind of direction he wants to bring you on. And then he says this. Paul says, okay, if you haven't got me so far, here's how your perspective's got to change. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true or noble or just or pure or lovely or of good report, if there's any virtue of any of these things, praiseworthy, meditate on these. Can I ask you a question? What do you typically meditate on? What I don't have. Why would God put this in my life? What's really happening? You know, I mean, we, the list could go on and on and on and on. He says, don't meditate on those things. Meditate on what God has for you. Take, take the perspective the other way. Next, our sanctification, our status. Now, this is something we didn't cover last week. In him is faith displayed by us, faith developed in us, and then faith deposited in us. Let me just say this. Did you know that the faith you do have, this is hard to get your mind around. He gave it to you. <laughs> he started your faith. I mean, he reached out to you. The Spirit of God reached out to you. We're going to see that in the verses coming up. He reached out to you, and then the faith you have now, he's developing in you. But did you know something? He deposited the faith in you in the first place. So look at how this plays out. Faith deposits in us is becoming his possession. It's that whole idea of process again. Romans 5, the second part says this. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. You know what the word poured out literally means? Lavishly poured out. To the point of overflowing. But how many of us feel that way a lot? Not too much. You know why? Because we're too busy looking at the circumstances of our lives, the trials of our lives, the sufferings we don't think we deserve. And we're too busy looking at those things from the world's point of view or from our flesh's point of view. And therefore, we never see because it's been altered. We never sense. We never see the outflowing of God's love that he wants to do in our lives. The permanence of his love. Listen, when the Holy Spirit is given to us, we then have a new identity, a new life, a new love, a new longing, 
All of this secures our eternal future. Next, faith deposited in us, not only becoming his possession, but awakening to his presence. Look at the last part of verse 5. He says, by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Think about that. Jesus said, I've got to go that the comforter may come. That was the Holy Spirit, the encourager, the one that's going to stir things to good works, the one that's going to convict you when you need to be convicted, the one that's going to teach you all these things. He says, I'm going to leave that he may come. Now, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. He didn't just come to overcome the world. Listen, no, he was deposited directly. This will blow your mind if you haven't figured this out. Directly into your heart. Holy Spirit. There's enough of them to go around, trust me. Right there in your heart. That should just blow your mind. That's the reason those who are truly believers in Christ, they may have a longing. Listen, they have a new longing because of what's been placed in them. Listen, it's a new longing, but it doesn't imply perfection. How many of you are still battling the flesh and what the world offers? Still battling, aren't you? But you know something? You don't really want it. How many of you found that when you, when you got this longing in your life because the Holy Spirit's there, that longing is there to be something different, but your spirit carries you down, uh, or your, excuse me, your flesh carries you down, the world carries you down, all of a sudden, guess what? I don't know about you, but when I get to those points where I finally get what I think I want, I realize I don't want that. I still have that longing for what he wants. And it's that endless deception that many believers fall into. And I see a lot of them do that. I see a lot of us do that. And we think it's going to bring satisfying results, but it doesn't. It never takes the place of the longing that we truly want. We may be content. We may be satisfied for just a little while, but we, it won't be long because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And all of a sudden we look and say, oh, I missed it. I missed it. I got exactly what I wanted. It didn't bring anything. You know why you feel that way? Because the Holy Spirit of God has been deposited in your heart. And when you start walking contrary to what he desires, you'll never be satisfied in those things. If you are satisfied in those things, let me ask you, let me point this out to you. There's a good chance he's not there. You know that's his goal, to convict you. Here we go. Not, not only God lifts us, but God loves us. Look on your outline, the proof of God's love. First of all, it is unconditional. Look at Romans 5, 6. For when we were still without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, how many of you have heard this saying? God helps those who help themselves. Did you know that's not exactly biblical when it comes to the deepest needs of your life? Listen to this. This verse says that God helps those who can't help themselves. Listen to it again. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we couldn't do anything, those without strength, they are people who are helpless, feeble, powerless, nothing to offer. And yet he died for them. So my God helped me when I in no way could help myself. That's the way that goes. Now look back at uh, <clears throat> verse 6 again. For when we were with, still without strength in due time. In due time... Literally means at the appointed time or the right time. These words imply a plan, a bigger, uh, a plan that's bigger than we are. That means there's something operating in our lives. Think about this. Holy Spirit's been deposited in us. There's something being operated on in our lives that's bigger than anything we can truly see. You understand that, right? 
The only way you see those things is through faith. And the problem with many of us in our faith is our faith is lacking many times. It's lacking. You know why? Because we're not, listen, so many of us, if you were to evaluate your day, you'll see that you're not feeding your faith. Many times you're feeding your fears, your doubts, you're feeding your flesh, and you're not feeding your faith. Think about that. Where does it carry you? Where does your conversation carry you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and, and, and walked away thinking, man, they have great faith? Or, boy, they sure see things from a totally different perspective than this world. There's a couple of gentlemen that I used to have lunch with quite a bit over the years. And, 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 people that, and, and, and they would just come at life totally different. They would see things. I would go with my grumbling, complaining, worried self, and I would leave their presence Mad because they challenged me. No, I'm just kidding. Challenged because of the way they were seeing it. I'll never forget. I just had lunch with someone about a month ago. I'd not had lunch with him in a while. And I said, can you believe this world? Can you believe what's happening here? Did you ever think we'd be here 15 years ago? He just sits there, smiles, crosses his arms. These are great times, aren't they? I was like, well, how do you get that? He said, this is when God shows up. It's amazing, but we need, to, we need to understand there's a greater plan there. There's something outside of us. The proof of God's love is unconditional. It's incomparable. Look at verse 7 of chapter 5. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, can I give you some clarification on that word sinners? Unrighteous, ungodly, undeserving, listen, unlovable. That's, what is, that's the description there. But in that while we were still sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. Christ died for us. If you want to see if God loves you, look at the cross. The cross proves that God loves you. Most people won't even dare to die for their best friend. Maybe you would die for someone you're really close to. But do you know anyone who would die for your enemy? Listen, the Bible says we're enemies. Before we came to him. He died for us when we had the status of enemy on us. An enemy of God. The Bible calls it that way. Yet Jesus loves us and the proof of his love is that he loved us even before we were believers. Before we were, we were undeserving. We were unlovable. But you know something? Greatest verse ever, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, the unlovable, the undeserving, the unrighteous. He loved us that he sent his son. Next, we see the provision of God's love. These verses imply that this salvation is eternal. First of all, he gave his life for us. Look back at Romans 5, 1. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that means we've been made acceptable. We have, there's certainty here, it's unconditional. We have peace with God, no longer an enemy, through our or guaranteed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9 now. Much more than, he's going to build on that. Much more than, having, having now been justified, been made acceptable and have access. How did it happen? By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Think about that. No more wrath. 
We don't have to have, have that upon us. So no more wrath. For if, if Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of a son. Now, I want you to pay close attention. The most vital part of this whole thing is what's found in verse 9. It says, we shall be saved. It doesn't say we've been justified now and we might be saved later or we might be saved if we work for it. Paul has just proven in four chapters you don't work for your salvation and you do not, you do not stay saved by working for it. Okay, he's just proved that. It took four chapters to get that out there. Obviously, if you were saved by works, then if you stopped working, you would stop being saved. But since you can't work for it, then you can't unwork for it. How many of you are glad for that? So, this is what Paul was saying. We will be saved. That's your hope. It's, 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 it's brought, to you, brought to you by the confidence you display in Christ and his provision. So, the verb tense meaning here is that something has been done in the present that will last into the future. But let me just tell you this. That's our perspective. There was something we did when, we, when we, uh, His grace was extended to us. We responded in the present. has a future condition attached to it. Okay? That's salvation. But let me tell you this. There's a past representation here too. Every bit of that was done in the past. From God's perspective, it took place back there on the cross. Okay? And so there it leads to that. So therefore, our salvation is not based on, it's based on what's done in the, past, in the past. It's based on what's done in the present. Our faith touching his grace. But it's also going to be guaranteed in the future. Next, he gave his life to us. Romans 10. Look at the second part. Much more, <clears throat> having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now think about that. That's what you call an argument moving from greater to lesser. Now, let me tell you what the argument is about. Let me give you an example. It is like if I gave you a million dollars, don't you think I would also give you a pair of shoes if you needed them? Now, think about that. I give you a million dollars, and all of a sudden I discover there's a, there's a need. Do you think I'd probably give you a pair of shoes if I gave you a million dollars? Yeah, of course. Now, some of you are like, no, I gave you a million dollars. Go buy your own shoes. <laughs> but, but the implication there is, yes, yeah. so if you give them a million dollars, surely you give them a pair of shoes. If I loaned you a million bucks, don't you think I'd, I'd, I'd loan you a dollar? If God has already solved your problem, do you not think he can keep you saved for the rest of your life? It says we shall be saved. You can be sure because your security is not based on your performance. It's not based on your works. We are saved by his provision. His provision. So Jude chapter 24. Look here on the screen. Now to him, that's God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present your, you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And that's exactly what it's going to look like when we do come to him. So who does the keeping? God, not us. We do not keep ourselves saved. God does the keeping through his provision through the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we see the products of this God's love. Look at verse 11. He says, and not only that. Now, now think about what, what Paul's doing with his, his verbiage here. Much more than, not only that, can you see Paul's excitement? He can't get it out quick enough. He says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. So here's what we need to understand. What happens when a Christian sins? We must understand the difference between 
fellowship and relationship. Fellowship is the joy that you share with that person. Relationship is your standing. Okay? David in Psalms 51, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, he prayed to God. Listen to the way he prayed. Restoring to me the joy, can you fill it in? Of my salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. What did he say? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. What, what David was crying out for, he knew he had the relationship with God, but he wanted the fellowship with God back. Same implication with us when we sin. We, we sin, and the thing that we long for, hopefully, and I think this is a good signal that you're saved, you may be out of fellowship, but your longing is to be back into relationship with him. Therefore, restore the joy of my salvation. Don't give me back my salvation. I never lost it. Give me the joy of the salvation. When a Christian sins, he does not lose his salvation. He loses the joy of his salvation, the satisfaction of his salvation, and the abundance of salvation. So here's the application. What is your standing before the Lord? What's your standing? That implies what's your relationship with the Lord? The Bible clearly says, and we just read it, before you come to know him, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. Now, you may sit there and say, I'm not an enemy of God. I don't, I don't go out there and take his name in vain. I don't do all those things. Or maybe you do. I don't know. But, but here's what you need to understand. The right standing means you've come to him on the grounds of the relationship that he desires. He desires to have a relationship with you. When he extends his grace to you, he, he wants your faith to be touched by that. Okay, And as a result, you repent. You, you turn, it's a change of direction. I'm changing from where I was going and where I was headed and where I was satisfied in. And I'm going to turn to him. That, that's, that's repentance. Okay, That's what's required. That changes you. Now you're in the right standing with the Lord if you accept him. What is your status before the Lord? Some of you may be Christians in here right now. And you've known him for a long time. But the fact is, you, you don't know how to, 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 to deal with the sin that's in your life. Somewhere along the line, someone hurts you. You became bitter. You became angry. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there living in the midst of that. Let me just tell you this. You do not have the full abundance of your salvation. You're not living in the joy of your salvation if that's the case. So something's got to change. Something's got to happen. Look on your outline. Would you describe your faith as maturing or hindered? What are you worried about? Where's your fears rest? Do you, do you feed your fear more than your faith? Do you feed your doubts more than your faith? Do, do, you, do you kind of get to the point where you're not even thinking about faith anymore? You're just sitting around having a pity party? Where, where are you this morning? And then here's a good one. How are you responding to the God's love? How, how many of you find it, hard to any, find it hard to believe that anybody... <laughs> could be indifferent to the love that God shows and has, has demonstrated for us. How does that even happen? Yet it does. So I don't know where you are this morning. I want to ask you, if you will, just stand to your feet. Father, we just come to you right now, and we just thank you for your blessings. And Lord, um, I don't know where this group of people are this morning. I, I know I've heard many testimonies there in this room, and it appears that many in this room have the right standing with you. They have the relationship with you. They've come to you on your terms through repentance. 
But Father, I pray if there's a, someone here today that, <clears throat> that does know you, but they're not in the right standing with you, or, or excuse me, right status with you. They, there's something in their life that's causing them not to have the joy that they once had. Father, I pray that you'll just reveal what that is. Whether it's lust, bitterness, uh, discontentment, greed, whatever it may be. Father, place your finger on that through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you just work in their life today, Lord. Have your way in that. Lord, if there's someone here today that believes that this is the church home you're called them to be a part of, I pray they'll be obedient to that if you've called them to that. But Lord, most of all, I pray for that person who's here today that is not sure where they stand with you. Help them to talk to someone before they leave. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.